real estate is such an exciting career. It could be an exciting hobby. Um, I started real estate when I was 24 years old. I bought my first house. It's just been such a light in my life. It's really given me a path to financial freedom. And I don't see any other career that could do what this does. No, real estate has done similar things for me as well. It's the work-life balance that really does it for me. And uh, being able to work your own schedule, it takes some time to get there. But once you get there, there's not much else that compares to it. Welcome. Welcome to The Remix, the video podcast that keeps you in the mix of everything real estate. I'm Noelle Freyson. And I'm Eric Anderson, and we're excited to have all of our students here today on this podcast. That's right, guys. We have all of our live students from the Center for Real Estate Education, and we're going to be talking about things that they don't teach you in real estate school, Ooh. right? Yes. Real estate school prepares you for the test. You learn all the legalities, the statutes, the contracts, all the history, blah, blah, blah. But you want to know about the career, the nitty gritty, how to become one of these two gentlemen. So right? let's tell them who this gentleman is. So, yes, of course. You guys know who he is. He is Omar Sharif. He is the VP of Alexander Anderson Capital Group. He is a real estate agent. He is a flipper. He is an investor. He is a burr. And also now he's a developer. So. And a broker. Thanks, Noel. Let's get down to business. And a future contestant on. No, just <laughs> uh, not yet. We're working All right. on that. Let's get down to business. And I see uh, people are typing in questions as we speak. Um, but let's start off with something that everyone needs to know. All right. I'm going to do that. Okay, so, go. First of all, real estate is such an exciting career. It could be an exciting hobby. Um, I started real estate when I was 24 years old. I bought my first house. It's just been such a light in my life, um, if I can be evangelistic for a moment. But um, it's really given me a path to financial freedom. And I don't see any other career that could do what this does. Mm -hmm. So you guys are in the right place. Anyone who is interested in real estate, whether it is, again, part-time, full-time, hobby, this just opens so many doors for you and, and can allow you to really create your own future. Omar? Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, no, real estate has done similar things for me as well. It's the work-life balance that really does it for me. And uh, being able to work your own schedule, it takes some time to get there. But once you get there, there's not much else that compares to it. So Kendra wants to know, going into, she's starting real estate. She wants to know, what are good questions to ask a broker? Like, how do you know that a broker, well, how do you know that a broker is right for you? What are you looking for? You want me to handle that one? You start you first. Right, you, we'll both answer that. Yeah. So for me, when you're starting off in, in a career, it's really how do you learn more? How do you get pieces yeah. of information? Because when you're new, you have nothing, mm -hmm. right? Just like a baby, when a baby is born, they're a sponge, they're, they're learning everything. So you want to find someone who's going to be like your parent, who's going to teach you, who's going to spend time with you. Um, so many people are worried about money. <clears throat> money should be like... Two years down the road, you should be thinking about money. You should not even be thinking about money. But what if you can't afford not to think about money? That's a good point. Well, <laughs> what I mean by that is, is yeah. don't worry about what your split's going to be. Mm -hmm. Worry about who's going to teach you. Yeah. Okay. Worry about how you're going to learn. Worry about what your education is. Worry about integrity. Yep. Um, don't worry about 
making sure you get the absolute most dollar because 100% of a pie that doesn't get baked is nothing. Is nothing. Right. Yeah. 100% right? of zero is zero. So. Yeah. So, right, you do need to get someone who's going to be teaching you, who's going to be helping you, who's going to be taking you by the hand. Where would you start? Like, do you go with the bigger broker? Do you, do you automatically go out and find a big name? Or how would you, how did you guys find your first people? So similar to what Eric said, I think uh, the priority at first is always how are you going to learn and who's going to teach you? What's the team like? What's the office culture like? And is there, is there do you fit into the office culture? Because um, whether it's a big name or a small office, it's who you connect with mm -hmm. and who you could do deals with that's going to make the difference. So in today's world, there's a lot of big world, big box offices, um, but I wouldn't discount the smaller brokerages because you get more personal time with people mm -hmm. who are doing big deals. Well, that's true. Like yeah. I know your office, well, both of your offices are always filled with people from, from Alexander Anderson, and yeah. you're always taking them around with you. I think that's really important. You want someone who's going to actually sit down with you. So real estate is really self-driven or it's very entrepreneurial yeah. most people think that they're going to graduate they're going to go to a brokerage and all of a sudden there's going to be someone telling them what to do it, it really doesn't happen that way so you have to be a self-starter and you have to surround yourself with motivated people who are going to share the knowledge with you as opposed to look at you as the competition um, and that's really hard to, to yeah, figure out yeah and I think uh, for me initially um, I had to I had a major challenge with finding people who you could learn from. And the main mental shift that, that helped me was, it's not so much about asking people for their time and shadowing them, because that's what a lot of new realtors want to, they want to shadow people, they want to spend the entire day with them, follow people around, but that doesn't really work out. Um, so the question you should be asking yourself is how can you bring value to someone who's doing well already? Uh -huh. And then you be, become part of the team and then you play a role instead of following someone around and expecting them to do things for you. Sure, and that's a good point. And people that are experienced, Want then and they're doing really well. They don't have time to really yeah. hold your hand. So yeah. you're going to have to make it financially worth their time. Um, that's that's where that team environment comes into place. Yeah. Um, as far as brokerages, if you have a broker who is looking for people to to build their their business up or or has an overflow of business and is looking for help, you know that's a good way to start. Um, you have to add value. And if you just think that <clears throat> by graduating and having a pretty face is going to do it, that's that's not the answer. Well, you know, you both, you talked about competition <clears throat> and Herb wants to know, can your broker be your competition? Like, can your broker be your sales, be a salesperson too and in competition for the same leads? Not really. Um, because initially you're going to work with your broker on deals and leads that come in. But once you understand what you're doing, you can branch out. There's more than enough leads to go around. And if you're competing on a single deal, then you still have your chance and he has his chance. So it shouldn't be that it shouldn't be a cutthroat environment, especially with your broker. And if it is, you're with the wrong broker. Right. And but that's a great question because that does happen. A lot of smaller brokerages, <clears throat> if there's like five people there, you know, that main broker is actually using that office to generate business for themselves. Yeah. And that could be a challenge for you. So if you go to a midsize where there's like 30, 40, 50 people or up, usually it'll be easier and you won't have that problem. But um, but even in, in a small office, if the broker is using you to work leads, that's a great learning opportunity, right? Yes. So people, that's, yes. that, that's a great place for someone to start because you have handholding and you are bringing value. Yes. So. But if the question is about competition, you know, do people in offices go after the same thing? Yeah, it does happen. Are yeah. there situations where 
a broker gets involved with something and then they get help from one of their team members and then it's like who gets what yeah yeah that happens all the time it's just the willingness to talk through it um and then i think if you you should be able to read people and if you can read that your teammates or your broker has your best interest in mind as well as theirs then then you're in a good and you're you're in a good place if you if you see that everybody is struggling and you know your broker's struggling and everybody's worried about five dollars you know then that could be a sign that maybe that's not the right place for you what are teams like can you explain teams and do all brokerages have teams is it better to be on a team is it better just to be your own person it sounds like to me and and i i don't know for sure but it's not i would rather be just my own person not part of a team because don't you have to share aren't, but aren't you aren't you on my team i'm i'm always on your team uh, i am team eric all the way yeah, yeah yeah but explain teams and explain how that works in a brokerage and explain how what happens when you're not on teams so you're going to explain this but before you do sure because <clears throat> omar has his own perspective on life um which is not always <laughs> the same as mine but <clears throat> there's different types of teams like there's teams in real estate there's teams in investing um there's teams too. there's teams in business um, I can tell you it's much more fun to build something when you have somebody to hang out with and to partner with and to, to talk about. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you're timid or if you're scared, you know, it's really easy to have that person to hold hands with to go on that first listing appointment. Mm -hmm. So it depends on you, your personality. It depends on how aggressive you can be. Uh, it depends on what you think your skill sets are. Let's say you're, you're like for, if you're going out in commercial and let's say you're a numbers person but you're really shy, right? So then if you team up with someone who's super outgoing, but they, they have no head for numbers, that could be a perfect yeah. match for, for somebody. Yeah. You know, and that could make a real successful partnership. So, Omar. Yeah, so I think for a new realtor, uh, your first priority should be to join a team when you get to an office because teams are relatively new. They weren't always part of the broker. A brokerage was a team where the broker is the team lead. But um, I'd say in the recent past 10 years or so, teams became much more common in every single big box office. And mm -hmm. the benefit to it is you join an existing com existing network of people who are doing deals, you play your role, and like we just mentioned, you're able to bring value to the team right off the bat. Um, alternative to that is doing everything on your own. And that's a path that I took. It takes a lot longer to do it, and if I knew about teams when I first started, I would have probably joined one off the, from the start. We have Hector, who wants to know, how do you build your flipping team? Like, if you want to become Good a question. flipper, how do you be, build that flipping team? And, you know, I just want to add to that. Tell us what are the benefits of being a real estate agent who just wants to do investing and flipping. So now, I don't know if you know, but Omar has flipped over 40 houses, and he has uh, so much experience, so you've come to the right place for that question. Thanks. So um, in terms of, in, in regards to forming a team to flip houses, you have to keep in mind, you'll be the team lead and you need all the subcontractors. You'll, you'll have to be the one that spearheads everything. And it all starts by finding your first deal. So you find your first deal, you have to know what the numbers are, and then you have to deconstruct everything to figure out what trades you'll need for the project. And that's your core team in a nutshell. But then you need your lawyer, don't you? You need, so, you need your real estate agent if you're not one. So good point. So the legal side of it, as far as insurance, attorneys, mortgage, financing, all of that is part of your, I'll say professional team, and then you have the subs who are part of your working team. So 
you do need those, but they're, they're very easy to obtain. I wouldn't be so focused on forming a specific team because you could use an attorney. You could change attorneys in every deal if you wanted to. Sure, and what's, what's great about a team, right? <clears throat> it's more than one person usually, mm-hmm. um, but teams are fluid. So just because you, you make that lineup, right? I'm going to use sports references here, which is out of character for me. <laughs> but if you have that lineup, that doesn't mean you can't swap somebody out. Yeah. You know, you start, you do one or two deals, you have these five people in them, and somebody you feel isn't playing fairly or isn't aggressive enough for you, then you just swap them out. And that's common. Very common to do that. So everyone is filling in here about commissions. They want to know, and everyone has a different sort of question about commissions, but people want to know about commissions. They're all new. They're all going to be going in. What should they be looking for? What should they be asking for? They want to know, you know, what is the split they should have? All right, so we all know that 100% 100% of nothing is nothing, which we right. just covered a few minutes ago. Um, Do you guys get that? So if your broker is offering you 100%, but they're not offering you any help, 100% commission, you get to keep everything, but they're not offering you any help, they're not going to get you going, no mentoring, no training, then you may make nothing, and 100% of that zero is zero. Is zero. So don't focus on money. I know everybody's worried about money. I worry about money. But don't focus on money. Focus on where you're going to grow and where you're going to get opportunities. You know, depending on what you're doing, commercial, residential, I think if someone offered you 60 or 70 or 80% today uh-huh. to start, I mean, that's that's my opinion. Omar's going to have his side of it. I think that's a great, great yeah. starting point. Um, if you're in a team, you may end up making 50% uh, mm-hmm. of deals. So it, it's really flexible. Again, focus on the learning uh, commercial, it's even less. Commercially, you could get like a 50% split. It, it really depends on where you're going. And as you get that experience and as you start doing deals, that's when you can command more more money. And that's when you can be, hey, I just did five deals and I got five more coming. Now you have something to work with. And you can go to your broker and be like, hey, I've I've learned. I'm here. I'm ready. And, and I want to renegotiate what, I, what I'm doing here. Yeah, so similar to what Eric just mentioned, 70, 80% is a great rate to start out with. Um, but it goes back to not just a split, but are, how are you learning? And is this the right environment for you and the right culture? And you'll see that most offices do offer the similar starting positions. Mm-hmm. So 70, 30 is a common split many offices offer. Um, and then the next question is, how many deals do you have to do before you could get that bumped up and grow? So two questions. What do you start with? And six months, a year from now, what's going to be the uh, next step up for you? Yes. Do you have to stay with a broker if you're with a broker? Like, are you locked into that broker? So I don't think you should jump. You should jump around. I think you should commit to somebody because when you keep changing every five minutes, you, you look flaky. Your clients look at you like you're flaky, and then you don't really grow anywhere. Um, so I believe in in doing your research and then staying somewhere. Um, the other thing is, just because you have a big opportunity, so this is what I laugh about all the time. So. We have a ton of people in our company, and sometimes we get new people that come in, and they have done zero deals yet, and all of a sudden they get some lead. So, you know, I'm going to make up something, but um, Joe Biden or Donald Trump wants to sell their house, and you got the listing appointment, right? And you're going out there. You haven't even gotten the appointment yet, and you come to see me, and you're like, hey, I want to bump my split up from 70% to 90% because I'm getting this $30 million house. I'm like... You don't even have the house yet. Like, what are you doing? This is your first deal. Don't do that, okay? Because you look stupid, in my opinion. 
Mm-hmm. You know, True, but if it's a $30 million house, then maybe they have something. I think he's exaggerating there. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. <laughs> yeah, but, but for the common the deal, concept. you're right. You yeah. get the concept. Build yeah. yourself up. You know, when you're, you have to look at who you're speaking with. Maybe if you're going to another new person, right, who also has little experience, and then the two of you are working on a team and you want to negotiate something between the two of you, mm-hmm. great. But don't go to your broker who has tons and tons of experience and years of, of experience and ask for something when you have nothing. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, the old adage, don't count your chickens before they hatch. You still got to get that appointment. You still got to get that listing, right? You still got to get that that buyer or seller. And then you still got to earn the check and have the closing. So there's so many steps to it. Just focus on doing the work. Focus on making your clients happy. Focus on enjoying that whole real estate picture. The money will come. And learn. Learn yes. what needs to be done. Yes. So when you know when you start out, should you be doing open houses? Should you be helping people out? What types of things should you be looking for to do? Like if I were to walk into Alexander Anderson and say, okay, I just want to start helping people out doing things so I understand what's going on, what would, what would be those things that I would do? First, I would... Smile and introduce yourself to everybody and then talk to people. Talk to learn and learn about the different things that are happening and what the different deals that, that people in the office are doing. And then try to figure out what it is that, that you want to do. Make sure you understand the differences between residential and commercial. Um, uh. I think it's very important that you try everything just to get a flavor for where you're going. Um, and then just focus on a strategy. Uh, you know, I always tell people to kind of work out what are your assets. And when I say assets, not what are your financial assets, but what are your assets as far as what clubs do you belong to? You know, are you, do you go to your church? Do you go to your temple? You know, are you like a school teacher and you have all these teachers in the school? Identify what your, your strengths are with your network and then go after those people. Get the word out that you're in this industry, okay? That would be the first thing that I would do. Well, you mentioned try everything. Can you guys tell us a little bit about commercial versus residential? Quick quick stat, 85% of real estate agents go into residential. So that means that there is a huge opportunity in commercial, but I just don't think a lot of people understand the difference or understand what needs to be done in commercial. Sure. So I think um, I think most people should start out in residential. They shouldn't go into commercial initially, but that's my view. Um, and so what's the difference between the two? Well, for one thing, commercial is all B to B, business to business. And for the average person, you're much more likely to get your first lead through your sphere of influence, mm-hmm. friends, network, coworkers, whatever it may be, versus being able to find business owners and understand their needs and find them, whether it's retail space, a building, whatever it may be. So. Um, the motto that I've used is do what you can with what you have, where you are. And for most people, that's going to be residential. But, okay, so let's say I think residential is great, mm-hmm. but commercial looks really sexy. Right? So, it yeah. looks real. I mean, it does. It does. Because when you talk, yeah. <laughs> commercial <laughs> look, looks really perfect sexy. Example. But so, it does. So, so, so it does. So, how, do, how do I get into commercial? So, just so you guys know, residential. Your forever home, your vacation homes, your condos, your co-ops, your anything where someone's living. Commercial, warehouses, office space, retail space, uh, uh, restaurant space. Am I forgetting anything? Big buildings. So, so commercial is really anything investor related. Okay. So it also could be living if you have like a multifamily building. Com- uh, residential would be more... <clears throat> 
for for people using it for their own use and maybe low end or, yeah. or basic investing, maybe like a two family house, something okay. like that. That's yeah. kind of I think where I would do the differential. Yeah. Yeah. So what does it take to be in commercial and what do you do in commercial? Give me sure. So thing. back to what Omar said about he thinks everybody should start with residential because it's easier. Not that it's easier. It's um, accessible, more accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's pros and cons to that. So That's yes, d- depending on your network, right? So let's say you are an accountant and you want to do real estate because you're getting out of accounting or you want it as your side thing. You know, you may have a ton of business clients. So you may already have, your network may be commercial right off the bat. So evaluate that network and figure out what area that goes in. Um, and then that could help make that decision. Yeah. So. And also most people, when they hear commercial and they're in residential, they assume that they're going to sell buildings and make millions right off the bat. And that's, it's a very tough industry to break into. And you really have to do, you really have to know your numbers. Whereas residential, you could start out just by driving people around and showing houses. Well, yeah. also in commercial, it takes a lot longer for deals to close, doesn't it? I think it, it depends. It depends. I yeah. think it really depends on the deal. Yeah. You know, people say that that commercial. The I say I'd say the the common thought out there is commercial is bigger money and longer yeah. longer turnover times. Um, yeah. I guess that's probably true. But w- once you get you know the ball rolling, it's 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 a great position to be in. Yeah, it in the is. commercial world. I just closed one of my biggest commercial deals recently, and I would say it was the easiest one of the easiest deals I ever did. Yeah. And it it involved math. So it wasn't me running around showing houses or dealing with people and their preferences and whatnot. It was just calculation. But was it fun? I had a great time doing it. But you're a math type of head. Yeah. So for me, um, I don't know if it's a math type of head, but yeah, figuring out how a deal makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) No, the the numbers behind the deal, for sure, I, I like to work with the numbers, so. So yeah, commercial can be scarier because it does require, or investing can be scarier because it does require understanding numbers. There are simple spreadsheets out there. Like, you know, I'm not a numbers guy. I I love math when it comes to like the bottom line, but I don't always like putting all the math pieces together. But once I realized that in order to be super successful in that area, I needed to understand it. I went out and I found like a basic template, which really was like a plug and play template, just like if you were using, and this is simplifying it, but just like you were using a mortgage calculator, it's that easy. And once you figure out the calculator and how to put all the pieces in, and once you understand the parameters, you know, which you could do in a day if you really put the time into it, Mm -hmm. it's a life-changing experience and and you could go up against almost anything and and sell it, so. Now, Francesca, (laughs) she wants to flip houses. She wants to know, you know, should she be a real estate agent, but she's already becoming a real estate agent. And does she have to work with a broker to flip those houses? As so a real that's estate a great agent? question. So I think you should first take our find fun flip class <laughs> because that covers all these questions. Shameless but um, <laughs> no, that's that question comes up often and um, having a real estate license helps. But do you need it? No, but you'll be able to use the MLS, the tools be in the space of other realtors who and probably investors who need realtors to do their flips and you don't necessarily need your broker but if that if you're if you list your flip or you make a commission on the sale your broker gets a cut of it because you're licensed within that office so it helps having your real estate license i recommend it but you don't need it so you still if you are and this was um in june's question if you are the real estate agent on your own flip or, or on your own property, yeah. you still get that commission, right? 
If yeah, yeah. So you'd be able to list it and represent yourself. And depending on what your split is with your office, you can you'll keep the commission that you would otherwise give to someone else. Or if it really depends on what arrangement you have with your broker. But yeah, that's the advantage of listing your own flip. Well, you get that. It's also great to have a license because it gives you a bargaining tool as well. So let's say any deal you can equate to two or three percent for commission for whatever side that you're working on. You know, let's say you're going up against another um, <clears throat> client who has a broker, but you're actually representing yourself, right? So if it's a uh, million dollar property and that's 3%, that's $30,000, right? So you have the ability to waive your commission. So you're literally waiving $30,000. So the two of you could go in at a million dollars with you waiving your commission. And just by doing that, you're still $30,000 over what that other person did. So having that license gives you some more flexibility. Um, Tyree wants to know, how do I start lead generating? And I know we've talked about friends, family, sphere of influence. Yeah. And that's like number one on the Google mm -hmm. search, like how do I find leads? What if you want to move past friends, family, sphere of influence? How are you going to find leads? So if, if you're a new realtor, the question you should ask this yourself. This is residential, right? As a new realtor. Mm -hmm. The question you should ask yourself is what, how are you helping someone if you don't have experience, number one? So even if you got 100 leads, how are you going to service those leads if you don't know what you're doing, right? Okay. So that's where, that's where working with this fear of influence helps because your cousin may not care. They just like hanging out with you. And it's the truth. If they people do business with people they like, right? Yes. That's why you start with this sphere of influence. But if you went up to a stranger and you tried to sell them a million dollar house, you may not even be able to answer the questions. Mm -hmm. So what happens at that point? So outside of sphere of influence, I would say join a team, go to open houses and work with the leads that a good agent has because there's always a, some agent who's top producing and has excess amount of leads that need to be serviced. Well, you know, and I, I've seen that when I was looking, when I was looking for houses, there was always the main person, yeah. but they'd have other people working the open houses with them and showing you around. And those were all people that you could physically tell. I mean, you could sort of tell that they were new and they were trying to get into it. Sure, well, well typically an established agent mm -hmm. has too much work to do and doesn't want to sit an open house. So they get volunteers yeah. who have no listings, who want to meet clients and, and they'll do it for them. So it's like a win-win for both sides. Right. And it, the, the hierarchy works because the top agent produces all the leads mm -hmm. and then have someone below them to manage the leads, manage the clients. And then at the bottom is really the new realtors who don't know much, but they could hold an open house. It doesn't take much to hold an open house. Smile, serve cookies, know the house. I thought you told me to smell. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All of that, yeah. Bake a cake, make the house smell nice. So Francesca wants to know about CRMs, which is a customer relationship management systems. But I think her bigger question is how do you manage all of the people that you meet? How do you keep track of them? How do you remember to reach out to them? I always say that when Adam first started, I was amazed, and Adam's not here, I point to this section because that's where he would normally be sitting, but I was always amazed at his follow-up, that he would text them, he would email them. I mean, he was sending courier pigeons to them. Like, he was just, like, on it. How do you guys keep track of all of those leads and make sure that they're each serviced and each, even after you've sold them something or after they're no longer lead, how do you keep in touch? You want me to do this one? I'll take it. So <laughs> a, a, CR a CRM <laughs> is useful, you? and a CRM stands for Client Relationship Management, and it is, it's a newer tool. Um, but remember, it hasn't always been around, right? So it's, let's just say in the past 10 years, CRM became a thing. Mm -hmm. But top producing agents have been around since 
as right. early as real estate. Yeah, so how did people organize it? It's, it's really what works for you. CRM isn't a solution for everybody. I know a lot of top agents that don't even use one. Uh, but what it does is it organizes all your leads in one place and has a systematic way of following up, communicating with them, and keeping status of it. So rather than jump into a CRM because people think they need a perfect everything, you could just start with an Excel sheet. And once your Excel sheet gets overwhelming, then upgrade it to something else that works for you. you yeah, I mean, so I I don't use a CRM. <laughs> and uh, I wish I did, but I don't have the... Um, Fortitude, is that the right word? Patience. The patience, I just, that's just not me. But I think that if you could train yourself to use one from the beginning, I think it's an amazing tool. It requires work, but once you get that done, um, it's amazing, you know, because right now I have stuff written down and I have a lot of stuff in my memory, you know, and my memory may not be as good 10 years from now. So having that tool would have been an amazing thing to have. Um, so my way around it is I build like an email list and we have tons of, of email yeah. lists for stuff, but it's still not the same as a CRM where you can cull things into different groups and you can have drip campaigns going. Um, so I highly recommend it. I can tell you, as Omar said, probably, I'm making this number up, but probably 70% of agents don't use a CRM. Yeah, majority of them. Yeah, a lot um, of because don't. it's a lot of work. I know that... Um, we provide them at our at our firm. I know a lot of other firms do, and then I know there's a lot of firms that don't. So, if it's something you can get in the in the habit of doing, I think it's a great tool, and um, it will only it will only help you. Just so you guys know, and he mentioned a drip campaign. A drip campaign is where the CRM will literally send out a series of emails to your client or potential clients in, in intervals or when something happens. So you could have a drip campaign, sending them different things until they do something else, like sending them listings, sending them reminders, all sorts of things you can put in their birthdays and you know, their kids' birthdays or whatever you want to send out automatic things. So it's like set it and leave it. But it does take a lot to set it all up and you have to put time into it. So a lot of people aren't like those pre- preparing yeah. people my mind is too busy to take the time yeah. to pause to then enter properly yeah um, and it, it's it's not a good thing for me i think i have um issues but uh, i think if you <laughs> <laughs> if you can do it i would highly recommend it well there's an opportunity for someone who's new if yeah. you're good with crms talk to eric <laughs> work work on his leads he's got too many yeah be, be his be his teammate that's why i have assistants. so that. that's why i have assistants and my assistants have all that stuff but you know, then that's also could be a great way to get started. If you see somebody yeah. that's yeah. super busy and doesn't have an assistant, that's maybe it. that's an inroad. You propose that you're going to be their assistant. You're going to propose that you'll help them with their CRM and you'll work some kind of split. fee structure okay. or split off of leads. I mean, there's so many ways, you know, real estate is about being an entrepreneur. So yeah. be creative, come up with scenarios where you can get involved and help somebody. And if you can, if you see somebody that's on fire, right, and you can actually help them explode, you know, that's worth something to people. So, yeah. you know, pitch it. Herb is going to kill me because he's like, can you answer my question, please? And his question is, is it legal for a broker to go out and show a house? And yes, it is. It's legal for a broker to go out and show a house. But I think the bigger question around there is, what's the difference between just a broker and a salesperson? I think sometimes they get confused. Sure. So um, Omer and I are both brokers, actually. So a broker is after you've been in real estate full-time, where you've made the majority of your income through full-time work. For at least three years. For at least three years. 
um, then you qualify to become a broker. Then you need to go take another test. Another um, class. And another class. And then once you pass all that stuff, uh, then you can become a broker. And what that means is you can now run your own business. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really... Open your own office, yeah. Everything else is the same. You can yeah. still sell and do and, and whatever that you yeah. could do as an agent. But now you can manage other people. You yeah. can have your own brokerage. You can be the head honcho. Yeah, it just it just basically puts like an elephant full of responsibility <laughs> on your back. Yeah, that's exactly it. So um, people think that becoming a broker is the next step. It really isn't yeah. unless you really want it. You so. have to really have a dream and yeah. be good with your people skills and want to manage others. And business skills. Yes, and business Take on over all the overhead, office space, everything. And yeah. it's not a promotion. A lot of people think, oh, I went from an agent to a broker. It's not a promotion. Yeah. And you're, you don't need it. Like yeah. if, if you have no interest in managing other people, you don't need to be a broker. There's nothing that I've encountered ever that I needed to be a broker for in the sales capacity. Um, if you're saying credibility-wise, you know, if you have track record and you've accomplished deals, that will be your your credibility. You don't need the word yeah. broker. Yeah, the title um, doesn't there. mean much at all. So I, I look at it as more of a function of what you want to do business-wise and if you want to have a ton of people working under you, um, that would be my my main reason. Not unless you want to take the broker's class at the Center for Real Estate Education, then of course you need to be a broker. Absolutely. And you need to sign up right now. Yes, yes. So Jill wants to become you guys. Jill wants to take that next step. She wants to become Pinky, no, she wants to become the brain of Pinky and the Brain. Um, she, Pinky and the Brain. You don't know Pinky and the Brain? It's is that like, like a music band? Or no, it's a cartoon. Oh, anyway, sorry. you guys. I'll fill it. you in. Um, <laughs> she wants to know how do I become a developer? What are the requirements? That's that's a that's a podcast on its own. First, right. you have to have big yeah um, bank accounts is what you mean. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but what do you have to do? Like, what can maybe you can I- I explain what a developer? You don't have to does. do anything. You just have to have. An opportunity you have for, well, no, before you have the opportunity, you have to be creative enough to recognize that you have an opportunity or to see something that can be developed into something else, right? So So is a developer just building something from the ground up or is it taking existing structures and fix and and changing them? I think it's a redeveloper. There's a redeveloper too, but yeah, I would say it's more either ground up or massively changing, you know, something. Yeah, but uh, for uh, the person who's asking the, if they're new, I'm assuming they're new. Yeah, well, everyone in here is. All right, in so class. if you're new and your goal is to become a developer, it's it's a long path, and the quickest way to get into it, I'm gonna assume you have deep pockets. If you have deep pockets, you could get into real deep development. Deep pockets. Really <laughs> deep pockets. Yeah, if you could have, if you have a million, two million, or more in the bank account, sure, you could get into a pretty sizable development and not know anything, and put it together because you have the money. Outside of that, it's a long path. Um, It's a good goal to have, but if you're new, focus on doing deals first and slowly work your way up to... However, to contradict what Omar just said, (laughs) um, if you have great sales ability and if you really feel that you have something, you can always go out and get partners. And if you can get people to trust you and you can get people to invest in your ideas and to believe in your ideas, then you can use other people's money, OPM, Right? OPM. You tell um, the OPM. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you could do that, then you could be a developer too. You don't always need to have the money for it. But, so uh, to contradict that, um, <laughs> <laughs> so you can raise other people's money, but if you do a development, you'll need to have skin in the game. So as, as much as bringing the 
deal to the table works, what else, if you're new, what else are you going to do? You don't have any technical experience. You don't have any funds. So you found a deal. Why should they partner with you and give you equity on it? Because you, you'll manage the deal? All right, so, so to contradict what he just said. Um, okay. You don't <laughs> always need to have skin in the game. What you need is the ability to sell. Okay? So if I've actually <coughs> gotten opportunities um, due to being creative, doing to find the opportunities <coughs> and um, accomplish some pretty big things without having... So I'll agree with that. In meaning financial money in the game. game. And, and I agree with that. <coughs> just not in development. Ground up development specifically. Well, it's so different. Just so everyone knows, these guys are I disagree. something right now. <coughs> and it's amazing. And we're so excited about it. And we are going to do a whole podcast just on how... They are developing the Phoenix. It's rising out of the ashes. I'm so excited about that. Um, so I'm going to go to Marlene and then to Sharon. Um, Marlene wants to know, is having a brokerage profitable as opposed to just going into flipping houses? Like, which way should she go? Should she want to own a brokerage or should she just want to become a master flipper like you guys? So, so my answer to that is definitely going to flipping instead of opening a brokerage. And uh, the reason for that is the whole brokerage world has completely changed in the past 10 years. And you may not be able, depending on what your goals are, what your income levels are, it, you may be able to make more money as a realtor, as a top, you will, not even maybe, you will make more money as a top producing agent than you will as a broker, unless you grow your office to a <coughs> significant size. Um, so then why do people become brokers in the first place? I think a lot of people assume that it's a promotion. And they mm -hmm. think that because they're a broker, it gives them more credibility, it just, looks better on their card, they could advertise it better, but there's no financial incentive to being a broker unless you decide to open your own office. If you wanna form your own team and have people working under you, then if you wanna have people working under you, then form a team. You, yeah, you, you, can, right, you can you can be your own broker and have just you and one other person. You can. Mm -hmm. You know, So yeah. literally that just, that's just you controlling your future. So you know, we're giving you like the real deal here as far as it doesn't really matter if you're a broker or not. Um, but there are pieces to it. It really depends on what you want. Yeah. You know, there's so many versions. They're two very different things. If you decide to flip houses, it's a different day to day. It's a different lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's a different level of risk. Number one, there's a lot more risk. Whereas being a broker, you're doing transactions and you don't have money on the line. Yeah. I don't um, think, I mean, I happen to be all of those things. So I have both like similar to what you're asking. Um, I think that there's, the majority of the money that I've made over the last 20 years has not, not that I think I know has not been through, through my owning a brokerage. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah. they want to know. They want to know they want to, they want you to show them the money. Where but, do they go to make but, the money? Hold on. Let me add this. Having the brokerage <clears throat> and having that team and being able to promote that does build credibility for you. It builds a brand for you and that builds opportunities. So can I tell you that that didn't bring me opportunities to do other stuff? No, I can't tell you that because it did. So it really just depends on who you are and what your strategy is. And, um, you know, the good thing is you don't have to figure it all out immediately. You just kind of kind of learn, like, as, as Omar said, get in there, get out there, get yeah. doing, and then you're going to figure it out. So sort of to piggyback on that, um, where is it, Sharon? wants to know, so if she does not become a broker, if that's not her trajectory, mm -hmm. um, how does she incorporate <clears throat> being a real estate agent into her already existing investing business? 
She already has an investing business. Is she able to sort of merge the two together? How would she incorporate those two together? I mean, I don't, I don't know why she needs to merge them together. Yeah, what's her existing business? But I, well, because we were just chatting over dinner last night. I don't know. All right. She, oh, so <laughs> she's let's, on yeah. here, but like, you had us. No. <laughs> so let's say, let's say she has an investing business and she's right. going out and raising money. Right. I think what you could just do is use the fact that you you have your license now as um, a way to bolster your resume to say like this investing business that you have. It's run by you, but you're not just you anymore. You're, you're a licensed version of you, okay? Um, that's how I would do it, unless you're trying to go out and get business as a real estate agent. If you're doing that, um, then you could just put in your promotions, you know, not only are you doing investments, but you, you also, on the side, you have the ability to represent transactions for people. And are you allowed, I mean, and this might be something that we have to look up and it might be state to state, but are you allowed to advertise both at the same time? That you're an investor and a realtor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. But you just have, when you're investing your real estate and you have to just make sure you let them know that you are a licensed agent and that yeah. where you work and they have to have ability to contact your, your office. So if you were promoting yourself as like John, John Joanna Smith's investment company and then yeah. in there you were advertising that you're also available for transactions and maybe your page would say you know i'm also available to do transactions under this umbrella and you know i'm joanna smith the realtor for xyz brokerage and you know that way it's transparent do you guys use scripts uh where is he joshua joshua wants to know about how do you build your communication skills how do you know what to say what do you say to people do you do you sit there with so the with the script because i know people who live and die by scripts yeah we have a script right here <laughs> um, no i i don't um i would say in the beginning having that script for yeah. like the first month or two probably invaluable yeah. Um, Where do you get them from, though? Well, you're so part of part program. of the find fun flip classes, we include a script. So. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason being because a lot of people do ask, "What do I say when I get a caller on the uh, seller on the phone?" And it's not common sense. You can't get into your personal conversations and say just what you think you should be saying. You have to direct that call to a specific outcome. Um, so scripts help with that, and you could get them all over the internet these days. It's very easy to access. And your yeah. broker should have like we yeah. provide scripts. Um, scripts are great tools for beginners. Eric does not need a script. Eric can talk to anybody Eric at any time. Any, yeah, he, and he, he does not need blah, a script. Blah, 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 blah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you put him in front of a seller, a buyer, he'll know what to say and he'll be able to do it naturally. Yeah. Uh, but for most other people who are starting out, a script is definitely. Yeah, natural is better. Practice, practice, yeah. practice. The worst thing you can do is stumble on your words in a, in a, in a first call or any call. Because remember, that first couple seconds is the difference between a click or a listen. So really practice, do role playing. Yes. Um, we're big believers on role play. We love to role play with people. Um, I have no problem throwing people curveballs during that role play. Uh, people don't understand why it's so important, but 100% it's important. And a great thing you can do with other, other people in your office or friends that are in the business is role play with them. Yep, you know? it's fun. Go it's out to fun. dinner. Have a glass of wine. Yeah. Role play. <laughs> Come up with stupid scenarios. Have each of you write scenarios down and then let the other one pitch it. Okay, so we all know that here at Seafree we're developing a coaching program. and But do either of you or have either of you ever had a coach? And do you think of a coach as the same thing as a mentor? But And how important is coaching? Because we're talking about scripts <clears throat> and usually coaches give you scripts and they do the role playing with you and they help you through that sure. but they also 
give you accountability. How important is that? So that's a great question. Thank you. And um, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to preach one way and then I'm going to tell you what my reality was, right? Okay. So I'll start with my reality. I had none of those things. Um, I was like jumped out of the helicopter and like didn't even have my skis on. I just like fell and rolled down the mountain and, and I figured it all out. Um, the one thing that I did have was a mentor, but my mentor was not a business mentor. And let me rephrase, was not a real estate business mentor. He was a mentor in business. He had just more life experience than I did. He understood the real world better than I did because I grew up in kind of a, an isolated affluent area and I, I missed out on a lot of real world stuff. So he really showed me all that. Um, he's about, he's still around today. He's about 25 years older than me, I guess, 30 years somewhere around there. 15. He's older. Maybe 35 years older than me. So he's older. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> That helped me really understand life. And I think if you can understand life and how to interact with people, the rest of it just flows because you can plug it all in. You realize you stumped me because you're asking me to do math. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> now, if you take that out and say, would I not have benefited from some real estate coaches? 100%. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't smart enough to figure that out. And then by the time I figured it out, I was already too smart. So, um, but yes, coaching, like listen to podcasts, uh -huh. yeah. um, listen to videos, go to seminars. Like that's amazing stuff. You don't have to take everything out of it, but even if you get a couple pointers, you know, I only started to do stuff like that maybe within the last five years. And it's just, um, yeah. you know, it's better when you're younger because you, you're, you know, that, that adage, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So like I already am set in so many things. Yeah. Um, and if you can pick up new and be more open-minded when it's early, it'll it'll just help you you grow faster. Yes, uh, so similar to what Eric just said, um, I also just jumped into it. And as much as I, I looked for mentors, I looked for coaching, but I never, I never used it. And part of it is because number one, it's hard to find either one of them. And when you get into coaching, when you're first starting out, the question I was always asking myself is, why do I need a coach if I don't even know the basics right now? So let me just get involved and learn as much as I can. And then I should have gotten a coach. It would have helped me. <laughs> but even then, it's hard to get someone because the problem I have with coaches is a lot of them will go into the mental motivation side of it. And I'm like, I don't need motivation to show me how to do what I need to get done. And it was hard for me to find that specific coach. Um, I think that's really important. Someone yeah. who's going to give you. And I talk about that all the time, that you want the practical hands on. Exactly. Give me an action to be done. And I yeah. can, you know, I can listen to a guru and motivate yeah. myself. And, and that's the challenge. How do you get that specific plan? Where do you start out? How do you grow it? Maybe you might be on a limited budget when you start out. So how do you make your dollars stretch? And I don't know of any coach that does all that. I know a lot of coaches that are great at change, helping you grow past a specific mindset. But if you're already motivated and you're just hungry, let your curiosity take you to a certain level. And if you get stuck, then see what you can do to get out of there. So I just want to remind everyone to press the subscribe button because we are your virtual mentors, your virtual coaches here. I mean, we, we believe in telling you exactly what we've been through and what not to do, what you should have done and all of that stuff. So you come subscribe, learn from our mistakes and our successes. Um, and you can find us anywhere you find podcasts and on YouTube, of course, to see our beautiful faces. Um, and remember, if you visualize it, you can make it happen. That's, that's my big tool. That's true. Um, yeah. I visualize everything and 
I would say almost 100% of what I visualized has come to fruition. So that would be my number one advice for you. Um, Sharon wants to know what are the costs, like what should she expect to spend in her first year of being a real estate agent, takeaway marketing? Now, do all real estate brokerages have fees? No, not all of them do. Um, do most? First of all, real estate, remember, you're, you're an entrepreneur, so of course there's gonna be fees. Um, there should be fees. You know, the more fees you pay, the more money that you get to keep in your pocket. Right. The less fees you pay, the bigger that, that broker is gonna get. So it really depends on your comfort level. Um, again, I don't like to let money lead where my steps are gonna be in the, in the first couple of years of something like this because you need the growth, you need the experience, you need the learning ability, and you shouldn't really focus on the fees. Now, if you have no money, I get it, it's a different story, and there are scenarios where you, you can get away with 100 bucks a month or 75 bucks a month, so. And just, Sharon, you know, it goes by state by state. I'll just tell you, like, when we do, um, if you were on our trainings or, or any of our new student orientations, we give you the breakdown for New Jersey. But every state is going to have their activation fees. They're going to have their startup fees. You're going to join the MLS, right? You're going to join NAR, National, um, National Association of Realtors. So there's a bunch of different fees that go in it, but don't let that stop you. Don't let that get you scared because nothing, it's not one big check you're writing, you're doing little by little by little. So don't let that hold you back, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, your first year will be about $1,000, just based on standard fees. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, it'll be a, just, just the standard fees and then if your office has additional fees, maybe Wait. 100 a month or 50 a month. <laughs> um, but you can expect to spend 1,000 a month to keep That's your license. Not 1,000 a month, 1,000 a year. A year, 1,000 yeah. a year, yeah. So last words, guys. Give us the last words of what you want to tell all of these new and budding real estate agents out there. Run. No. Just no. <laughs> Jump in. Enjoy. Remember to have fun. Remember to learn. Keep an open mind. Try everything. Um, and, and just really enjoy it because this is life's about enjoying. And for me, real estate is just one big party. <laughs> I would say for those who are interested in making big money in real estate. What I told myself 10 years ago when I first got in was someone is going to start today. And regardless of what the economy does, or what the market, real estate market does, someone is going to start today in 10 years, you'll be a multimillionaire in real estate. It's going to happen. And you should ask yourself, why can't that be you? Ooh, mm. good one, Omar. Like Thank you. That can be you. And it was me. <laughs> so leave comments. We yep. want to hear your questions. Thanks for, thanks for uh, being part of our, our, our podcast today. All right. Bye.